Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the 2024 Genesis Invitational. This is one of my favorite events on the PGA Tour calendar at one of my favorite courses on the PGA Tour calendar, which I know you probably, if, you know, if you've been watching the channel regularly, you probably feel like I've said that the last two weeks now, but it is true. Like Pebble Beach, straight to Scottsdale, straight to Riviera, like these are three great golf courses. This is one of the best three-week stretches on the PGA Tour, and we're concluding it this week with a golf course in Riviera that is going to look good on your TV screens, and it's going to provide a lot lot of strategy and a lot of different shots for the golfers day at this weekend. And I'm super excited for this event. Now, I wish we could be a show that like really got in the weeds and, and reflected back on last week as well. You know, I know um, the story with the waste management right now is all about kind of, you know, how crazy it was, how the atmosphere was. I actually have a friend who, who went to that tournament and they said that, you know, it was kind of overblown a little bit. Like, yeah, there were people that were drunk there. Yeah, there were like every now and then, you know, the person that was not behaving accordingly. But for the most part, it is what it is marketed up to be. And, you know, I think that it is getting a little bit overblown in the media, just what, what that event has turned into. I think, you know, this year they might've ratcheted up a little bit, but you know, the incidents there are, you know, few and far between. It's not like these golfers are dealing with that behavior on every hole or by every patron. And, you know, at the 16th hole there at the waste management, it is encouraged to act like that. Um, my, my buddy also said that, you know, they stopped serving alcohol, like, you know, middle of the afternoon to kind of help deter that behavior, which is not something that you see at a whole lot of, you know, PGA tour events, maybe hardly any PGA Tour events. Um, so, you know, just wanted to go ahead and, and throw that out there because I did think that that was interesting, you know, to look back at last week. Now, here on this episode, we are going to break down everything you need to know about this tournament. Um, basically, we are going to break down the course itself as well as what type of golf is going to excel here and what skill sets golfers are going to need to have to play well here. And then we're going to take a look at the board and identify some guys that I like this week at all levels of the board from the top all the way down to the bottom. So that way, if you're playing DFS or if you are betting, you can find your guys this week. And then we're going to close it with some one and done strategies. So whether you are betting, whether you're playing DFS or whether you're playing one and done, we've got you covered here in this episode. We're going to give you everything you need to know to pick some winners here this week at Riviera. Now, if you have not already, please, please, please go ahead and hit the like button on YouTube as well as rate and review the audio version of this show. Um, it really does help me out a lot. If, if you've you know been watching the channel for a while, if you've been listening to the audio for a while, please help me out. Hit the like button, hit the rate and review button. I promise those do not fall in deaf ears and they really do help. And also go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that way you can be with us for the rest of the PGA Tour season. That's right, we'll be going all the way up until East Lake. Um, and if you subscribe, you'll be with us for the rest of the season. And... I really want to get to 500 subscribers by the end of March. And um, time's kind of running out on that. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Help me out. We're closing in on 400 now. And we got to get to 400 before we can get to 500. I know that because I teach high school math. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's go ahead and end the introduction there. Let's go ahead and dive into this because I'm excited to get to talk about Riviera, y'all. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and dive in and talk about the course itself. So if you were watching on YouTube, I'm showing a flyover by Pro Visualizer. Um, Golf Digest has an excellent video about this course called Every Hole at Riviera that um, if you're interested in learning more about golf course architecture, if you really like this course, I highly suggest you watch. It's great. But Golf Digest got mad the last time I had one of their videos playing in the background, so I'm not going to do that again. So Riviera Country Club is in the heart of Los Angeles, Pacific Palisades, California to be exact. 
It is a par 71. It is a little over 7,300 yards, but it plays much longer than that. Hole number one is a very short downhill par five that pretty much should be birdied. It's got a birdie rate of over 50%. Um, so if you start your round off with less than birdie here or worse than birdie here at number one, you're not gonna be in good shape heading to the rest of the round. And then you've got hole number 10 as well that is a very short drivable par four that is like the best drivable par four on the PGA Tour in my opinion because it's a genuine strategy decision of of, do I go for the green? Do I lay up? You know, where the pin is is going to determine a lot of strategy. And it's a true risk reward drivable par four, unlike some other par fours that are drivable. Like the one at Oak Hill last year was kind of mediocre, in my opinion, because you just have guys blasting it into the bunker and hoping they got up and down. So, Basically, with the course being 7,300 yards and featuring one very short par five, very short par four, and um, being only a par 71, it plays a lot longer than that 7,300 yards. The par threes themselves are very long and very difficult. Being able to just shoot even par at par threes would be pretty good for the week. John Rahm last week kind of was up and down in the par threes, but he birdied both of them on the back nine and wrote to his win on Sunday. Um, and then in terms of the par fours, there are a lot of them that are in between 450 and 500 yards. There's no par fours that are longer than 500. There's really not a whole lot of par fours that are shorter than 450 either. So that is what you're looking at this week is a lot of holes that are going to feature long approach shots. Pretty much every approach shot on this course is going to come from um, 150 to 200 yards. Now, part of the reason for that is that this has become a very driver-heavy course. Good drivers of the golf ball give themselves a massive advantage here. This golf course was pretty much built in a canyon um, in Los Angeles, and so there's not really any water. There's like little ravines that run through the, the course, but it's not really filled with water. It's kind of just like natural areas. Um, and so pretty much there's no reason to not just whale driver. Um, the fairways themselves are very narrow, um, and so it's very hard to hit the fairway even if you choose to lay up with less than driver. And so basically you end up with a situation where if I'm going to miss the fairway by laying up and it's going to be a long approach shot if I lay up, I might as well just go ahead and hit driver and have faith that I can hit a, you know, a middle iron from the rough as opposed to having a long iron from the fairway or a long iron from the rough. The fairway regulation percentage here overall is pretty low because everybody is swinging driver and they're narrow fairways. The green regulation percentage is low as well because of a lot of people having to swing mid to long irons from the rough. But basically, that's why you see driver is a very heavy strategy because there's no real disadvantage to hitting driver. And, and really, you put yourself in the best overall position, even if you miss by having a driver. Now, the greens themselves have a lot of... Um, What's the right word to use? A lot of character, a lot of undulation, a lot of uniqueness. They are fairly hard to hit. They're not small, but because of the way that, you know, the approaches are coming from far out and the way the greens are designed, they tend to be pretty far or pretty hard to hit. Most of the greens here at this course are elevated above the rest of the terrain around them. And so what you end up with is with, with, they also have these short, short grass, short game runoff areas around them. And so what you end up with is, you know, it's hard to hold shots on greens, um, especially if you're hitting a long iron into it, cause it might roll off that hill, but also 
you can't really run it up onto greens. So you're going to have to be hitting your mid and long irons and getting them to stick here on these greens, which is a lot easier if you're playing from the fairway, which, like I said, not a whole lot of people are doing. So um, one thing to also remember is that these are POA greens, much like what we saw at Torrey Pines, much like what we saw at Pebble Beach. Um, and POA is the most difficult putting surface on the PGA Tour. Uh, there's a lot of misses from under 10 feet that happens in this course. However, it doesn't rate as the hardest putting course on the PGA tour i would think it would because poe is the hardest putting surface these greens have a ton of undulation but i think that i have a little bit of a theory as to why it actually doesn't rate as the hardest putting course and that's because with so many greens being missed you know in the short game areas being a lot of short grass you end up with guys having a lot of really good chips. If they kind of, you know, have a feel for the greens, have a feel for the short game areas, they can really, you know, stick chips close. And so if you're able to putt from a shorter distance from having a good chip, then that's going to make the overall putting difficulty not look as bad because you're putting from shorter distances. That's just my theory, but that, but that's pretty much what I look at. So anyway, this is a above average difficulty course um, that is going to provide a true test to the best golfers in the world. And I think it's no surprise that you end up seeing a lot of the best golfers in the world have a lot of success here because the, the questions that this golf course asks of you, the skill set that it requires, you have to be good with a driver to hit these fairways. You have to be good with your mid to long irons to hit these greens. That's skills that a lot of the best players in the world are good at. And that's what separates themselves from a lot of the lesser players in the world. Now let's take a look at a little bit of historical data and go ahead and see if we can gather anything from that in terms of who might have some success here. So historically here at Riviera, you have seen like a lot of the world's best players win this golf tournament. Like last year, you had John Rahm. 2022 was Joaquin Neiman, who that was really kind of like his breakout win. 2021, Max Homa. 2020, Adam Scott. Um, and then Bubba Watson has won this event twice. Dustin Johnson has won this event. So like you see a lot of great players tend to win here at Riviera. But you also see kind of some rando winners though too. We had J.B. Holmes win this in 2019. James Hahn in 2015. Um, with this being an elevated event this week, with it being a slightly narrow field, I would tend to think that it is going to bode well for one of the best players in the world to win here again, simply because the skill set that this course requires, that is something that the best players in the world generally have. Now, last year, what you had was John Rahm win this event, and he actually lost strokes around the green, um, but that was the only you know category he lost in. He actually ranked first in the field in strokes gained approach, ranked third in tee to green. Patrick Cantlay was actually um, first overall in tee to green, um, but he did not putt well at all, and so he ended up coming in third. Max Homa, on the other hand, gained a ton of strokes putting, like over 10 total strokes putting, um, and still came in second place just because um, he didn't really have it dialed in off the tee, and he had actually the worst approach play of anybody else um, in the top eight. Now, another thing that's interesting is Scotty Scheffler. Um, came in 12th here last year, and Scotty Scheffler last year was the 15th ranked player tee to green. And um, I don't know if you followed Scotty Scheffler a whole lot lately, but Scotty Scheffler is not very often the 15th ranked player tee to green. He actually didn't have a bad putting week. He really kind of chipped himself out of the golf tournament. So I think that really bodes well for Scotty Scheffler that he had a just okay tee to green week, but was able to still come in 12th place. Um, I, I really do think that this is a good week for Scotty Scheffler, like most weeks are a good week for Scotty Scheffler. Now, in terms of raw course history, um, this is the 
third most stickiest course in terms of course history. You have Augusta National, you have Bay Hill, and then you have Riviera. Um, last week, TBC Scottsdale, also some very, very sticky course history. YLI, we've talked about very sticky course history as well. This is up there with those in terms of guys who play well here tend to keep playing well here. Um, and so when you look at strokes gain total here at this course, the top five is Cam Young, who has a second and a 20th. Adam Svensson surprisingly came in second because he was T9 last year, but that's the only time he's teed it up here. Victor Hovland is third. He's been in top 20 every time he's played this event. Kyle Morikawa fourth. Max Homa fifth, even though Max Homa is the only one of those who has played each of the last five years. Adam Scott is sixth. He has also played each of the last five years. And then rounding out the top 10, you have Will Zalatoris, Xander Schauffele, and Patrick Cantlay with Roy McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler just on the outside looking in. So you read that list and what does it tell us yet again? The best players in the world tend to play well here at Riviera. Um, and so that is something that I think is going to continue here again this week. Now we talked about the key stats every week here on the PGA Tour. I'm going to go ahead and make my key stats now for the um, Genesis Invitational for Riviera. Um, I did not pre-make this Google slide, so I'm going to have to do a little bit of typing here as I go. Um, but with what we have here for Riviera, um, they are not going to be exactly the same key stats that we had at Scottsdale, even though a lot of the approaches um, seem to come from a um, similar distance to what we see at Scottsdale. Um, but if I'm looking for key stats at Riviera, the first thing that's going to be key is strokes gained off the tee. Um, I want guys who are good at driving the golf ball this week because this is going to be a very driver-heavy course. If you are able to put yourself long and in the fairway, you are going to find yourself in position um, to be in position more than anybody else in the field. I also think strokes gained approach is important. Strokes gained approach is always important. But as you saw last year, John Rahm led the field in strokes gained approach, and he ended up winning the tournament. Now, in terms of those approaches, I think proximity from 150 yards to 200 yards is going to be super duper important or if you have the ability to do this you can look at par fours that are just 450 to 500 yards because a lot of those holes here a lot of the par fours here are par fours that fit that description I also like the idea of targeting par threes that are 200 plus yards because this course does have three of them, including some that are quite difficult. Um, and then I think that this week is a week where you can actually use strokes gained around the green. Um, it is going to be important to get up and down this week because like we said earlier, the, the fairway and regulation percentage is pretty low. The green regulation percentage is pretty low. So you're gonna have to be able to get up and down to save par. Um, and then I also am going to rate course history as a very key stat. And I think that it is very important this week. Um, I would be factoring that into a lot of my decisions because this is one of the most correlated courses on the PGA Tour. Now, in terms of some comp courses, like it's pretty tough to compare Riviera to just any old run-the-mill course on the PGA Tour because it is, in my opinion, one of the best courses that the PGA Tour sees. But the one in terms of like the normal uh, PGA Tour course rotation that we see a lot of similarities to is Memorial Park in Houston. It's another long, difficult course with narrow fairways and it features a lot of the similar green complexes where the greens are elevated and with the um, very shaved grass, short grass, chipping areas, short game areas. Um, so I think Memorial Park does have some architectural similarities to it. Um, I think that Quail Hollow is one you can look at. It's another um, very long, very difficult golf course that um, the world's best players tend to play well at. Um, I think Torrey Pines has a little bit of similarities, but this one I think has a little more character than Torrey Pines. Torrey Pines is kind of a bomb and gouge course but it also has poa greens. It's also a course where long approaches are going to be valuable. But I think the best course comp 
And you have seen this a lot with guys who play well here. The best course comp to Riviera is Augusta National. So a lot of the winners here have won at Augusta. Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, Adam Scott, like guys who, John Rahm last year. Um, so guys who play well here tend to also play well at Augusta National. Um, there's just a lot of crossover success. And I think that it kind of makes sense, right? At Augusta National, you, feature, you have a lot of those mid to long range approaches that you're going to have to be good at a lot. Lot of green complexes that have a lot of character and are very tough to chip and get up and down on and a lot of the short grass chipping areas that you see here Augusta national definitely has a fair amount of those as well all right so that is everything you need to know about riviera so how can we use that information to pick out guys on the board that we like this week so I did neglect to mention, because it didn't really fit in with kind of the whole vibe of that um, first section, is that the field of this event is going to be a little bit different from what we see normally. First off, this is a signature event, so it is a condensed field. There's only going to be 71 golfers, but there is going to be a cut this week. So basically what happened is, you know, Tiger Woods is like the host of this tournament, and when Tiger tells you, I want to cut... If you're the PGA Tour, you have a cut. Um, and so what's going to happen this week is there's going to be a cut after Friday where the um, top 50 golfers plus anybody else who is um, within 10 strokes of the lead, those guys are going to stay, and everybody who is outside of those two parameters is going to get cut. Um, so it's not really like a big cut. It's not like going to be like a half the field cut like we normally see, um, but it is going to be a cut. It is going to happen. So one thing this week that I think is going to be important is with the potential to have you know maybe anywhere between 5 to 20 golfers cut, I want to avoid the landmines. And so I want to avoid guys who can bottom out. I want to make sure that I get everybody who's going to see the weekend, but I also want guys who have the ceiling to end up winning this tournament. So obviously, I mean, it sounds kind of like an obvious statement, right? But I want guys who have a high enough floor to make the cut and a high enough ceiling to win the golf tournament. And, you know, that kind of is going to narrow down my player pool a little bit. Um, but like I said, you know, time and time again during the section about the course, I think that this event is generally won by one of the best players in the world. So I'm going to be pretty widely dispersed among this top group because I want to make sure that I catch the winner this week and then hope that I can get the value plays right around it. Now, just how can I make sure I avoid the landmine? Well, I don't think the landmine is going to be Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is the best tee to green player in the world. We mentioned last year how he came in 12th without being super successful tee to green. Well, he also has a 7th, a 20th, and a 30th here. Um, he's coming in off of a 3rd at Phoenix and a 6th at Pebble Beach, which like, that course at Pebble Beach really didn't fit his game all that well at all. Um, and so Scotty Scheffler pretty much is going to play well every course, every week. He's the best tee to green player in the world. It's only a matter until he wins again. Um, and so I really do like Scotty Scheffler this week. Roy McIlroy has up and down course history here. Um, and he did not have a good week at Pebble Beach, but he was playing so well in Europe um, before he came over um, in you know in January. Um, but in the last five years, Rory has two top fives, um, an additional top 10, and then a missed cut. So it's not exactly what you like to see. That missed cut, though, is actually an anecdotal evidence against the next guy I'm going to talk about, who is Victor Hovland. So Rory came in in 2021 with relatively good course history coming off of a fifth and a fourth here at Riviera. But Rory's game was not quite right. Riviera is not a place you can come in and look to correct your game at. It will eat you alive if you try to do that. And so that week, I remember this very vividly because I had him in one and done. I thought I was being sneaky. I was being dumb. Rory McIlroy cost me in one and done that week. He missed the cut here in 2021 when he was coming in poor form, even though he had great course history. My nominee for that guy this week 
is Victor Hovland. Um, because when you look at what he's done lately, um, he has been either worse or neutral on approach in three straight, which is not something that you normally see about Victor Hovland. He chipped the ball absolutely terribly at Pebble Beach. He apparently like split up with a short game coach, which I don't know why, because his short game had been pretty much doing pretty well throughout last fall and last summer. Um, but he split up with that coach. He was terrible around the green at Pebble Beach. He skipped a week at Scottsdale to try to get his game right. And I don't know if one week is enough to get your game right from what we're seeing out of Victor and what the test that Riviera is going to offer him. So if there's anybody near the top that I'm going to be fading this week, it is Victor Hovland. Even though he does have great course history here, a fifth, a fourth, and a 20th, even though he has been great here, I just don't necessarily trust the recent form coming in. And I think he's the guy at the top that makes sense as logical fate. Xander Shoffley has outstanding course history here. You know, he's played here each of the last five years. He's been in the top 35 every single time. He was not great at Pebble Beach, but I'm willing to kind of write that off. He's historically a good POA putter. I would rather play Xander Shoffley than Victor Hovland. And what I think a lot of people are going to do this week, I think Victor Hovland is going to be like the forgotten guy up top because I think people are going to opt to either play Scheffler or McElroy or go all the way down and play Homa and Morikawa and guys after that. So just what can we do with Max Homa? Well, Max is like the Riviera King, right? He um, won this event in 2021 in a playoff, came in fifth in 2020, 10th in 2022, and second in um, last season. So basically, in each of the last four years, he has finished no worse than 10th at this course. He has gained strokes in every category each of the last four years of this course. That is incredibly difficult to do. So I really like Max Homa at this course. And, you know, he might kind of fit the Victor description of a guy whose game is not in a great spot. He was 66th at Pebble Beach. He missed the cut in Phoenix. But I'm willing to give him a pass for Phoenix because he was in the bad weather wave which was like, if I'm not mistaken, it was like an average of two to three shots worse than the good weather wave, which is how everything broke with the weather delays and, and the split rounds and all that. And so I'm willing to forgive him for that miscut. It wasn't a terrible, terrible performance. And so I'm willing to go back to Max Homa at a place that he loves. He's a great POA putter. Uh, and I hope that the miscut last week will keep more people off of Max. Now, Morikawa and Cantlay, like, I can't make an argument against. Both of them have, you know, historically really, really good history here. You know, um, Morikawa in the last two years, sixth and second. Cantlay last year coming in third. Um, so those two guys, uh, you know, just take your pick. I think both of them are really solid plays. But I would rather go down to the bottom of the 9K range. I love Ludwig Ober at this course. So Ludwig is a guy that we've talked about on the pod before. He is an elite, elite level driver of the golf ball. Not only is he really long off the tee, he's really accurate off the tee. This is a course where both of those skills are going to be an advantage for him because he's going to be having shorter approaches than other golfers, and he's going to be in the fairway more often than other golfers. And so he's going to be hitting short to mid irons from the fairway, whereas other guys are hitting mid to long irons, most likely from the rough. And that's an, an extreme advantage here. And I thought Pebble didn't really fit his game all that well at all because it was not a driver heavy layout. And he came in second. Came in ninth at the Farmers, which was a very driver-heavy layout. It was POA putting, and he didn't rate out as a poor POA putter either. So I love Ludwig this week. The only question is, is he ready to win an event of this caliber yet? Because we have not seen it from him yet. But hey, he's going to do it eventually, so why not go ahead and get on him now and try to be early on? Justin Thomas is a guy that I like a lot this week as well. 
And so, you know, much was made of his slump last season, but I think he is all the way back. Um, you know, pretty much starting at the Hero, he came in third, and then third at the American Express, sixth at Pebble Beach, 12th at the Waste Management, gaining strokes in every category last week at the Waste Management. It's weird because he came in T12, but like, he was never, ever a threat to win. Um, but when you look at what JT does well, he's generally a really good around-the-green player. He's generally a really good approach player. Those two skill sets, when married together, are going to serve him very well here this week. And you look at his history here. He's played here quite a bit. He has four total top 20 finishes. Um, he does have two missed cuts, um, but he has shown the ability to put it all together here. He has shown the ability to be a positive putter here. So I really, really like Justin Thomas this week. And he's a guy that kind of like Ludwig, I'm going to kind of continue going back back to him because I think that the win is eventually coming. All right, so that does it for the top of the board. So let's go ahead and take a quick breather and then let's talk about some value plays. So looking at the rest of the board here, 9K and below, one of the more interesting guys to me is Tony Finau. Um, we have talked about Tony uh, you know, numerous times on this podcast over the last year and a half, and he's a guy that he tends to play well at the courses he tends to play well at. Like he's a very sticky course history kind of guy. Um, you know, like you know, we saw him at the Farmers with a T6, he generally plays really well at Torrey Pines, right? Um this is a course that he generally plays pretty well at. Um, you know, dating back to 2018, he has two runner-up finishes, has not missed the cut in the last six editions of this event, um, with two more top 20s in addition to those two runners-up. He generally has not been a great putter here, but not an awful putter either. Um, and when you look at what he's done lately, he's kind of been a terrible putter um, here this year on the PGA Tour. But here's the thing, with Tony, Eventually, it bounces back. It, it, it can only get so bad with the putter, but right now, he's playing so well on approach. He is such of a good mid to long iron player that as well as he's playing on approach, and we know that he has some craftiness in his short game, I think that he's going to be able to use those skills to overcome a deficiency with the putter, even if he does have a deficiency with the putter, because eventually, he will give you a good putting round. So I really do like Tony Finau this week, a guy that has history at this event and you know has good history, of course, is where he's got good history at, if that makes sense. Now, looking down the board from Tony, I think the 8K range is honestly pretty stacked. Um, you know, you've got Cameron Young, who is one of the most elite drivers of golf ball in the world. Um, you know, when he's played here, he's finished in 20th and 2nd. Um, you know, last week finished 8th at Phoenix. And I think that I'm starting to get a little bit of a beat on, on Patrick Young. Pl or not Patrick Young, Cameron Young. Play Cameron Young at courses where you're going to be swinging driver all the time. I think it's that simple. You know, last week at Phoenix, like he had the driver out like pretty much every hole, came in eighth place. Riviera, two good finishes, came, you know, in second and 20th, hits driver all the time. It's his best weapon, it's his best club. And if he's going to be able to use it every hole, then let him use it every hole and let him run at those type of courses. You know, Wyndham Clark is kind of like Mr. Trending Upward. Um, you know, he's got uh, two top 20 finishes here at this event before. Um, kind of a I don't want to say disappointment, but like really disappointing round four at the waste management that caused him to finish in 41st place. But hey, he won the last signature event. We know he can get hot with the putter on POA. I don't think Wyndham Clark is a bad shout either, but neither of them are the two guys that I'm really going to be eyeing in the AK range. One of them is Adam Scott who's coming off of an eighth place finish at Phoenix, um, where he played pretty well in every fast of his game. And he's probably second to Max Homa in terms of overall course history here. He owns a win here in 2020, a fourth in 2022, a seventh in 2019. And if you're any kind of superstitious guy, like the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2020, and he then won this event. 
and now the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2024, and Adam Scott is teeing it up at this event. So maybe a little bit of superstition to go by there. My other favorite guy in the 8K range, though, is going to be Sam Burns. I just think that you got to love what Sam Burns has been doing recently. Um, he has been pretty much just incredible in his last three starts, 6th at the American Express, 10th at Pebble Beach, 3rd at the Waste Management, and he's done it in pretty much every facet of his game. The rounding green play hasn't been super great, but he's gaining with the driver, gaining on approach, gaining with the putter, and that's what we'd like to see from Sam Burns. He does have pretty good history here. He was third in 2021. I believe he led that tournament almost the whole way and just did not have a good um, Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. But he did miss the cut in the last two iterations. But Sam is a very streaky golfer. He's very hot and cold. So I would tend to think that he's going to be able to bounce back and have a good performance here this week, um, given he is on a little bit of a little bit of a hot streak. Now, heading down to the 8K range, um, I'm sorry, the 7K range, there is one guy that immediately stands out to me that is my absolute favorite play in the 7K range. And that is going to be Will Zalatoris. Um, so much was made this season of Will Zalatoris coming into the season. You know, what would he be in his return from injury? Would he be able to regain, you know, his prior form? Would he be able to ever, you know, kind of be what he once was, which was a guy who, you know, had the ability to win and contend in multiple major championships? Well, he hasn't won one yet, but he contends in pretty much every major. So, um, you know, I think he's kind of answered those questions in his last few starts, right? So Will Zalatoris is historically a terrible putter. Um, and, you know, really when he first came back at the Hero World Challenge, he was awful. And then he wasn't much better in a miscut at the Sony, but he flipped everything around at the American Express, gaining strokes in every category, including the putter, and then did the same at the Farmers, gained strokes in every category, including the putter, for a T13 finish at the Farmers. Now, also add that into the fact that he has a great history here. You know, he has played this event three times as a professional, 15th, 26th, and 4th, gained strokes putting in two of those three, gained strokes on approach in all three, and I think this course sets up very well for his game. What we know about Will Zalatoris, he is a great mid to long iron player, um, and he is one of the best at that in the world, and so that is a skill set that is going to play well for him this week. I really like Will Zalatoris, and I'm hoping that that injury narrative will kind of linger on him and people are going to be off of him, but, but I don't know. I could kind of see him getting a lot of steam this week and being pretty popular, but he is one of my guys this week for sure. Now, looking down at the rest of the 7K range, like there's a lot of guys that are like, I just don't think are great course fits. Like, um, this is a long track, right? You're, you're going to be at an advantage if you're long off the tee. That, this course is not the type of course where a JT Poston or a Russell Henley or an Eric Cole or a Siwoo Kim, it's not a course where they're going to have an advantage by being shorter and straighter. So I don't necessarily want to go with a guy like that this week. I'm not saying that I'm going to full fade them entirely, but it's just not a course that accentuates their skill set. However, Nikolai Hoygaard put him in like the Ludwig Ober category where I think this is a great course fit for him. He's one of the longest hitters on tour. Um, he played very well at the Farmers, so he showed the ability that he you know can play well and putt well on Poa Greens, was runner up at the Farmers, and he doesn't have any history at this course. But like Ludwig, I think it's only a matter of time before this guy starts rattling off some wins, and at $7,800, you don't have to pay as much form as you do for Ludwig. Now, looking down the board, the rest of the 7K range, I'm definitely not going to be playing Ricky Fowler. There's just a lot of red flags in his game right now. However, I've said this numerous times about DFS. Sometimes the bad plays become the good plays when nobody's playing him. Um, but Ricky Fowler is a guy that generally gets people to play him just based off of name recognition. So I don't think that he's even a play that's so bad he's good this week. A guy that I do like this week also is Cameron Davis. So I wish there was a way where I could just look at 
Courses with no hazards off the tee. How does Cam Davis do? Because to me, that's kind of where you want to play him at. And really here, there's not really a whole lot of water. There's trees, but you can't really get yourself in tree trouble. And I kind of like Cam Davis at courses like that, right? Like at Pebble Beach where he came in 20th. You know, he has a win at the Rocket Mortgage. He's also one of the longer hitters of the golf ball. He's also pretty good on approach. So I think that this could be a pretty good spot for Cam Davis at only $7,200. Now, the next guy that I'm going to highlight is at $7,000 even, and that is going to be Bo Hostler. So Bo Hostler's history at this event is nothing to write home about. Um, he did come in 15th here in 2019, but since has um, came in 48th and missed the cut. Like I said, nothing really to write home about, but I really like what Bo's been doing lately. He has kind of been whack-a-mole with the strokes game lately, and what I mean by that is is he has weeks where he gains with in three of the four categories off the tee approach around the green and putting. And then the next week it'll switch to another category. Then the next week it'll switch to another category. Then the next week it'll switch to another category. And last week it was putting and he was above average in the other three categories. And so if that trend continues, like eventually he's going to have all four clicking. And I think that this could be the week. He is another guy kind of like Cameron Young, where I think, and kind of like Cam Davis, where I think he's better at driver-heavy layouts. And I think he's better where he can't get himself in too much trouble off the tee. So I really do think this is a good spot for Bo Hostler. And only $7,000, I think the price is going to be right. And I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of ownership. Now, with there being a 20-ish man cut this week, you're going to want to find guys in the seven, low seven and six K range that you're going to be able to make the cut, right? Like you do not want to play anybody and miss the cut this week. You're going to be at a supreme disadvantage. So what I think the key is going to be is looking down at these guys here in the bottom and asking yourself, hey, what are the odds that they, um, you know, can they get themselves out of the bottom 15? Or another is what I'm saying, basically. In other words, do they have the ceiling to keep themselves from the bottom? Well, Emiliano Grillo is one of those guys. I don't think this is necessarily a great course fit for him, but I love the recent form coming in. 7th at Sony, 20th at Farmers, 14th at Pebble Beach, 22nd at Waste Management. Like, he's doing it all well right now. And again, while I don't think this is the best course fit, I didn't think Farmers was a great course fit either, and he came in 20th. Um, and so I think Emiliano Grillo is a really solid play at $6,900. Another guy that I'm going to highlight just because I'm kind of like contractually obligated to is Tiger Woods. So I am not somebody to tell you what to do with your money. That, that will never be me. And so if you are somebody who plays DFS or makes outright bets and you want to bet on the guy that you're rooting for, or you want to play somebody for the vibes, that would be the argument for Tiger Woods this week. I don't think there's anything statistically you can point to that gives any kind of optimism that he can come in the top 25 at this tournament, but he's Tiger Woods. And if you want to have fun rooting for Tiger and you want to spend your money on that and knock yourself out, I will not discourage you from that simply because it's fun to watch and root for Tiger Woods, right? When Tiger won the Masters back in 2019, I had him in one of my lineups just because I didn't want to miss out if Tiger did win the Masters. And sure enough, he did. Now, granted, that was five years ago. He was in much better health then, but a similar concept, right? If you don't want to miss out on a legendary Tiger performance, then just play him. Another thing that I think is interesting down here in the 6K range is you have um, Adam Spenson, who came in ninth place at this tournament last year, kind of out of nowhere. Um, the recent form hasn't been great. I don't think it's a great course fit, but ninth place finish last year, I think there's something to be said for that, and I think he's definitely in play at $6,600. But I do have 
um, three favorite plays in the 6K range that I'm going to highlight. The first of which is Kurt Kitayama. So Kurt Kitayama is another one of these guys that tends to play his best at driver-heavy layouts. You know, came in eighth at Phoenix, and I really thought his final round was pretty impressive. Like, I felt like every time they showed him on the broadcast, it's like, oh, look, here's Kurt Kitayama hitting from the middle of the Sonora Desert. Oh, look, here's Kurt Kitayama hitting from the cart path. Here's Kurt Kitayama, like, just getting himself out of trouble again and again and again. And the fact that he was able to keep the train on the tracks and come in eighth place, I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, and he also did gain in, in every category at, at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Um, his history here at Riviera is... Um, it's not good. Um, he missed the cut here last year, but he did gain 1.2 strokes putting per round. Um, he kind of chipped himself out of the tournament, pretty much losing all the strokes that he gained putting um, around the green. And so maybe if he just fixes that around the green play, like could this be Kurt Kitayama week? I think there's a possibility. He's won an elevated event before. He's good with the driver. He's good on long approaches. Um, I definitely like Kurt Kitayama at $6,900. Another guy that I like is Lee Hodges, who hasn't done anything statistically lately to like wow me, if I'm being honest, but it's his profile and his history at this event. So the history of this event, he came in 39th and 18th, gained strokes in every category last year when he came in 18th. But Lee Hodges is a guy who's generally pretty good at um, long approach shots. He's generally pretty good at long and difficult golf courses. Like when you look at the courses that he's played well, um, you know, it's not difficult, but the 3M Open is pretty long. The Memorial is long and difficult. The Valero Texas Open, long and difficult. So I think this is a really good spot for Lee Hodges just based off of the type of courses he plays well and his history here in the past. And then Sam Ryder is at the stone minimum $6,000 on DraftKings. That is just a blatant misprice. I think he is much better than the other golfers that he's down there with. Um, he did miss the cut at Waste Management. I believe he was in the bad weather wave at that tournament. Came in 31st at Pebble, which wasn't bad. Um, and he has a pretty decent history at the Farmers, even though he missed the cut this year. So he's generally a terrible putter, but he has shown the ability to putt on POA. And at this event, he's played each of the last two years, gained strokes putting in each of the last two years, 26th and 20th place in each of the last two years. So I think Sam Ryder at the stone minimum $6,000 on DraftKings is an outstanding play this week. He's going to save you a lot of salary in DFS, which would allow you to be a lot more, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot more aggressive up top because he is at the stone minimum $6,000. You're going to be able to do more with the top of your lineup if you're able to play him and have him succeed in it. All right, so that does it for the values. Let's go ahead and switch gears for just a second. Let's talk about some one and done strategy. Now, for one and done this week, this is a little bit of a quirky week. And what I mean by that is it's a signature event. So obviously the purse is going to be massive. Like if there's ever a week to pick a winner, this is going to be it. Um, and really, in addition to it being a signature event, with there being a cut, what it does is it actually increases the prize money at the top of a little bit because instead of having 80 guys with guaranteed money, now you're only getting 50 guys with money. And so um, you're seeing... Like if there's the same amount of dollars now split among less people, like all those people are going to get a little bit more money. So um, this is like one of the best weeks to pick a winner, if at all possible. Um, I'm not doing great in one and done so far this year. I'm not going to lie. The best one and done I have is um, I, I joined a public one on Splash Sports where I'm actually doing pretty well. I had Sam Burns last week. Um, and so that was a decent pick. Um, I've, you know, last week I picked Justin Thomas here on the one that I've been picking here on the show, another public one that I'm in on Fantasy Golf Championships. So this week, I think there's any week to pick one of the best players in the world. I think this is it. Um, I don't necessarily like, 
I don't feel eager to burn somebody, but I think there's a lot of guys that um, fit the bill pretty well here at this course, um, and, and I don't mind using here this week. Scotty Scheffler, I think it would just be an absolute smash pick. However, you can use Scotty Scheffler pretty much any week. So I'm probably going to save Scotty Scheffler for as far down the road as possible. So that way I know I'm using him on a week where not a whole lot of other people are going to use him because not everybody has him available. Now, from there, I'm not going to play Victor right now. I think there's much better spots for him. Xander, I think, is in a pretty good spot this week. Patrick Cantlay, I think, is in a really good spot this week. If you don't play Cantlay this week, there is two more logical spots to use him. You have um, the Memorial, which is a tournament that he's dominated, and you have um, Harbortown, where he has came top five each of the last two years. So um, Cantlay, I think, makes a lot of sense this week. Max Homa, with his course history here, makes a ton of sense this week. Um, if you can get over the recent form, um, if you can get over the missed cut at Scottsdale, um, he would probably be the guy this week. And I think he's going to be super popular this week because looking down the line, I think the only other logical landing spot you have for Max is the Wells Fargo, Quail Hollow, where he's won. But there's a lot of other guys who you could play at Quail Hollow as well. So um, I think Max is probably going to be the popular choice this week. So if you're playing from behind, I don't necessarily think you want to go with Max this week. Now, I think Morikawa makes a lot of sense. I think that um, Justin Thomas and Sam Burns make a lot of sense. There's a few Burns courses down the road I think you can use, though. Um, I would not mind using Syed or Tony Finau. Finau is an interesting one because Finau um, has the Mexico Open coming up next week where he is defending, and like the list of golfers committed to that event is like Tony Finau and a bunch of nobodies. Um, so you may see Tony Finau play next week at like four to one odds. And I think that might be the spot you want to play Tony Finau at. Um, Cam Young, I think is also a guy that makes a ton of sense this week. Um, so my decision this week is um, between Max Homa and Cam Young, I'm going to play my position here and the one that I'm picking here on the show. I'm going to play Cameron Young here at this course. Um, and hope that um, a lot of people play Max and Cameron Young outplays Max. Um, but I think Cameron Young coming in with two straight top 20s, runner up here in 2022, I think it makes a lot of sense to play Cameron Young, and he's playing some really good golf right now. All right, so that does it for this episode, y'all. So um, if you like what you saw, please hit the like button. Please rate and review the audio if you're listening on audio, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel or to the audio feed. Y'all, like I said earlier, I didn't realize this until I started creating content, but getting the likes, getting the subscribes, it really does matter. It really does help me out a ton. If you want to show some support to me, please like and subscribe. It really does help me, and I really do appreciate you guys. Now, if you want more information from me, first off, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I tweet out any updates for the show. I'm also more than happy to um, assist with any questions that you might have. Also, tweet out the DFS rundown for every PGA Tour event where I just kind of highlight some of my favorite categorical plays. I've seen some people that have enjoyed that and have done well with that. So um, last week, Doug Gim was um, the gut play, um, which turned out pretty well if you played Doug Gim. Uh, I'm also in the Fantasy Corner Discord. The link is in the description on YouTube as well as on the audio. Um, basically, the Fantasy Corner Discord is a Discord where we've got a lot of smart people who play DFS for a lot of different sports. It's entirely free. There's a lot of great minds in there, bouncing ideas, talking strategy, talking um, lineups, talking plays, and, and it's a lot of fun. And the golf chat in there has been pretty popping recently as well. So um, if you're looking for people to talk golf DFS with, join the Fantasy Corner Discord. I can't recommend it enough. And then I also write a full article for my um, Patreon every single PGA Tour event, as well as every single college basketball DFS slate where I highlight my core plays as well as kind of my lineup strategy and attack strategy for the slate. If you want to know who from all the information in this video actually makes my DFS lineups, Patreon is the place where you can go to get that.
All right, so that does it for this episode, y'all. Um, like I said, super excited for this tournament this week. This is one of my favorites, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Riviera. Really looking forward to seeing this field. Like, it's just, it should be a good week because, quite frankly, the PGA Tour needs one. With having a fourth round canceled two weeks ago and all the issues with the weather and the fans at, at Waste Management, um, and, you know, with, with the fans at the Waste Management, like, I love that that's, like, the one rowdy event. But I, I still think even if you go um, – you know, and you're, you're chirping guys like, you know, never during shots, never anything personal. And I, I think that that should be kind of like the rules to go by at the waste management. Um, and so, um, yeah, anyway, the PGA Tour needs a good week with, with all the drama that's happened in the last two weeks. And I'm hoping that Riviera with this field can provide the PGA Tour a good week. And I'm looking forward to watching it this weekend. All right. So that does it for this episode, y'all. Thank you guys for watching and listening to this point. And um, best of luck to you this week. And I will see you next time.